Hello, hello. It's Elizabeth Busby here with the Theology of the Body Institute. No, I messed that up because, okay, let me start over. You can keep going because I know I don't get a do-over. I'm starting over. Hello, hello. I'm Elizabeth Busby, the Director of Programs with the Theology of the Body Institute. Thank you for joining me for the Discerning Marriage Podcast. As you can see, I have the renowned Damon Owens with me, and I was all flustered because we were just rapping Hamilton before this started. No, you were rapping Hamilton. <laughs> I was rapping Hamilton. I was ad-libbing. He was. He was helping me, though, so I was really excited and jazzed and pumped, and then Thomas was like, I'm just going to push record, and I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I don't want rapping Hamilton to be on my <laughs> podcast channel, so I got my tongue all tied up. But we're working now. We're talking about important things. And I am pumped to have you with me. Excited. Damon Owens, thank you for being here. Thanks for the invitation. It's good to be here. <laughs> so for those of you who don't know Damon Owens, I am pumped to have him on my channel. He, very much for me, is one of the giants of Theology of the Body. Mm. I have known your name way before I was anyone that you would need to know. When I went on my first Theology of the Body 1, my very first TOB course, so really my first like real exposure with the Institute, he was executive director and I cornered him in the cafeteria after lunch one day and I was like basically gushing how I wanted, I want to work in Theology of the Body, like what do I do, D to D. And with the same like reverence that you talk to everybody like that I've seen, um, me now that I'm working here, you know, I've seen like you came to our revealed event, so you know, all of you Catholic Hollywood people were there. I saw you interacting <laughs> with them. You had that same like reverence for my dignity when I was like hmm. just a student there. And I vividly remember that. Oh, and I was so touched and delighted. So he's the real deal, you guys. Like he knows Jesus and loves Jesus. And it is evident in the way that you interact with everybody. So I'm not surprised that you've climbed the ranks and you're one of those big TOB names because you're living it. It's real. And I'm just delighted that now I'm in a place where I can have you with me at this table that you bought and refinished. And <laughs> you <laughs> we remember just found that out. You remember. Um, so fun. He was like, hey, I got this. I was like, yes, <laughs> it's a great table. <laughs> anyway, so I'm really pumped to have you on the show. Thank you thank so you. much. Well, thank you. I hope I don't disappoint you today, but uh, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I am really excited to, to have him here to talk about this discussion. Well, I guess I'll just tell you what it is. We're going to talk about, Damon and I are going to talk about the tough conversations that it's really important to have when you're dating and discerning marriage. And you're perfect for this. One, because you're gentle and good and you have this way of like engaging with people that I think makes it easier to talk about hard stuff. But also, you've been married for a long time. How long have you been married? Coming up on 30 years. Hey, yo. 1994. Oh, my gosh. So we're... Uh, It'll be April, I guess, next year. Yeah, we'll be, yeah. Thanks for next 93. Oh, my gosh. Did I just say 94? Sorry, Mel. 19, <laughs> April 24th, 1993. Oh, my gosh. We're October 24th. Hey. 2015. So, but yeah, almost 30 years. We're early enough to claim 30. I love it. You are. And you have lots of babies. <laughs> we do. And um, Lord's blessed us with eight children. Thanks uh, be to God. And I say all boys except the first seven. <laughs> so, I have a house full of girls. <laughs> one had a house full of girls. Four of are moving on but now two grandbabies so it's uh definitely a new season granddad. that's enjoyable yes you may call me granddad <laughs> and i'll smile when you say it i love it i love it so he has a wealth of knowledge both from his own 30 years and of being married you've been working in the lord's vineyard like this for a long time too How time long? flies you know as you were talking idea? about that well we started melanie and i in the first year we were married, 1993, we were immediately into pre-Cana. We went into okay. natural family planning, teacher training. We, we dove right in. And we did that together till about 2000, 2001, okay. when we had enough babies that Melanie was like, <laughs> you know, no, peace, I'm out. <laughs> and I discerned in 2002 
to um, leave corporate and okay. go full time in ministry. So I've been in full time ministry since 2002. Oh, that's 20 years. It is. That's a long time. It's truth. Truth. And so. you fully raised four babies. You're still working on four more. Exactly. And your granddad now. So he has a lot to offer you guys. He has a lot I to offer. So. I hope so. A lot to offer me, a lot mm-hmm. to offer you. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited. Okay, so just generally speaking, as a father um, in particular, that's kind of what I'm asking about at first, what are your thoughts on the topic of tough conversations in dating? Yeah, you know, um, just transparency, which is the only way I operate, is, you know, a lot of it is is learning from um, my own mistakes, learning from both the lived experience, but also these great principles that's part of the theology of the body. And much of my, if you want to understand sort of the macro, it's like melding these two worlds where Mm. in these moments of these different seasons, either as a young father, a a new husband, you know, a father of teenagers and then young adults (laughs) and then each of these seasons sort of teaches a different nuance, even adopting, like our two youngest are adopted. I was going to mention that you guys, we're also adoptive parents. So I, yes, I love adoptive parents. The whole experience is, is beyond and, and we adopted after we had six that's amazing so um olivia and and nathan came to us to adoption and you know you, you start to think you you sort of plateau in terms of understanding we at that point we had been teaching natural family planning for like 15 years but there's just so much more to learn so much more to learn about yourself myself to learn about my beloved melanie to, and, and kids so part of that question about hard conversations is having done it so poorly for so long and that is not what I thought you were about to say. Well, Wait, seriously? Yeah, because it's a lot of it was temperament, right? My temperament is, uh, without getting into a lot of analytics, I'm avoidant um, when it comes to really? conflict. I don't like conflict. Okay. I was going to say that is not my vibe of you, but with it comes to, I don't conflict with you. So I can appreciate that. I don't know that side of you. <laughs> well, just wait till we have some conflict and you're going to see me sort of make it, make it everything good and then kind of walk away before it falls apart. So that's my instinct. So okay. I've had to learn you can't operate that way in yeah. marriage. You can't operate that way in an intimacy or in, yeah. as a father. And you just can't operate that in, in love and in Christ. So if my, my journey is what I'm getting to has been one from whose natural posture is one of avoidance, okay. is one who you have to stand and you have to engage. And, but then the question is, how do you engage? At what point do you initiate the hard conversation? At what point does it take the courage to receive the mm. invitation you know, to have the kind of conversation, good or bad, well done or not well done? Mm. So the whole difficult conversation, first and foremost, conjures up attachment styles of the people in the conversation yes some fight some flee some um freeze yeah uh some are very uh, let's say avoidant some are very um anxious so it's like oh well, let's finish this conversation now and we have to get an answer now and make sure everything is you know so, and then some are very secure where it's like you know we just we just disagree but i love the heck out of you <laughs> you know so my point is that learning over these years has been from that perspective of someone who's had to learn how to to, to stand in a very uncomfortable, in a very difficult situation, not necessarily to resolve it like my engineering heart wants to, to fix it and then make it right, but the whole process of that engagement is meant to be um, a, a place of holiness. I know that won't get too Ooh. spiritual. Because again, in my mind, it was always- It's sacred, it's a sacred It is sacred, sacred and it's sacred because the conflict it's, it, it really isn't about resolving the conflict as much as it is about communicating authentic love mm. to a person, even when there's a, an issue that divides us. So the issue can divide people, but it doesn't have to, can, can divide in a subject, but it doesn't have to divide people, if that mm. makes sense, right? Yes. So we can disagree, but we don't have to be disagreeable. 
Yes. And we can express, not only that, we can express an authentic tenderness and love for one another that actually brings us closer together even when we have an irreconcilable disagreement. That blew my mind. When you learned that? Even as a concept, because I didn't learn it as a concept. I learned it in in the real conflict with Melanie. You learned experientially first. I did. And then the principle made absolute sense afterwards. Wow. So, and there are great teachers that teach about charitable interpretation, mm-hmm. or they'll teach about um, caretaking and conflict. And you hear these these principles; they would have meant nothing to me. I mean, it just. But seeing the fruit of treating every conflict and every hard conversation as an accusation, mm-hmm. and as a project to fix, so that we could love each other, mm-hmm. is the completely wrong posture. And once right. those things for me were sort of put in their proper place, the hard conversation is almost. I must look forward to it. Because it draws you closer. You're closer at the end. You do. And you get to learn more about yourself and you learn more about this person that you love. And you get a chance in a difficult, tense situation to express your love that's not necessarily based on emotion. Yeah. It's based on this willing your good. I want your good. And I'm fascinated. There's a genuine curiosity. Like, you really think that really hurts you when I did that? (laughs) You know, that really bothers you? Yeah. You really need that? I never knew that about you. So that, that healthy curiosity was something that I had to work on because... I wanted Melanie's happiness so deeply, so mm. much, and I wrapped it into my own identity that when she wasn't happy, I knew I was a failure. So mm. all she had to do was say, I'm not happy, and that was the accusation mm. manifesting. Right. Completely, you know, unlike what she was thinking right. or her intentions Right, she wasn't intending were. to say that to you. So I think, I think that the, the starting point for discussing hard conversations is really that, that internal checking of our heart. But what do we assume? What are the assumptions that happen when there's disagreement? So therefore, what does that hard conversation mean? Is it an indictment? Is it an accusation? Is it an occasion? Is it just life? Is it catastrophic that that our our relationship is in the balance? Because you're going to approach that hard conversation differently. Absolutely. If your entire future is on the balance. Absolutely. This is catastrophe. Yeah. Right? We've never fought before. Now we have a disagreement. You know, we, we, so that right posture of curiosity of deep respect for this other person mm. and the reality that it's not catastrophic. In fact, this is this is what this is what love is. Yes. Long yes. answer, but that's that's where I would start. I love it. When did y'all when did you figure that out? How many years in? Uh let's see what year is this? <laughs> Almost thirty. <laughs> Almost thirty. That was thirty. Um definitely not in the first ten years. Um, wow. So I you were like in it with babies and I'm gonna, all these If I had to throw a number out, I would say 20 years in wow we had a major sort of reorientation reordering in uh, 2013 okay uh, and Melanie I've talked about this publicly and it wasn't like a separation as much as it was just sort of the, the hands up like this is not working we, we need <gasps> to do something fundamentally different. I'm not oh happy gosh. Wow, and both whole, of you. Bo- both of us, but she, she I'm the avoidant one, so I'm not going to bring oh, that up. That's true. So I'm she just, was like, I'm not happy. Yeah. And you were like, ah! We got to do something about it. Because at that point, I was so exhausted. I had been running and racing and struggling and doing everything I thought I needed to do to be a good husband, a good father, mm. provider, and all these things. And and failing in you know in some sense, in the sense of the, in, in my measure. Sure. So when she said that, I, was, I had no fight left. And I was like, yep, we got to figure this out. And, you did. and yeah, and it was, it was a, sort of that hard look back at, you know, the, the decades that we knew each other and the way we've disappointed each other, the expectations we brought into marriage, our inability to have hard, hard conversations that really satisfy and, you know, in terms of intimacy and connection and belonging 
and really just treating everything like a project or mm-hmm. as a to-do list. So that really can't, it can't manifest. I think it lasted that long just because I'm stubborn or because, you know, we, we both really, really, really wanted our marriage to work. We wanted mm-hmm. to, you know, to suffer in some sort of false martyrdom of, mm-hmm. you know, marriage is just hard. Marriage is hard. So, you know, that kind of so thing. So this is it. Yeah. yeah. But instead of being like, no, no, we could, it is hard, but we can also work on this. And this part doesn't have to be hard. Like yeah. we together can face the hard instead of the hard being us. Exactly. Yeah. And that was, that's what you say. That's, that's exactly how Melanie approached it. Like we, we this is how we can actually grow closer. This is yes. how, you know, we, if we were so much better together than we are, if we did this together, the whole thing was from her perspective was like, I miss not being in this with you. Or she would mm. say being on the same page. That was mm. the phrase that we got all the time. And I've, after all the years of her saying that, if it made a different sense to me when I, I received it differently. I love that. Mm. So I am assuming that you would agree that learning how to have this these kinds of hard conversations and being willing to have some of them early on, bef- like even before you're married, when you're dating, when you're discerning marriage with someone, when you're choosing a partner, that that would be a good thing to spend some energy Absolutely. figuring out. It's an affective, <laughs> maturing life skill. Yes. Because it's not just well in the most intimate of, of relationships like marriage or or uh, romantic relationship it's about having friends it's about knowing yes and, and and without them by the way we start to set up all of these sort of coping mechanisms like mm. people tell you you need to set boundaries you need to self-care you need and all those things are absolutely true but outside of the schema of building intimacy yes they're just well coping said. mechanisms well they're just, said you know i gather all of these things well i gotta get my nails done here i've gotta make sure that i don't let people talk to me this way and i have to tell them this and and they can work for a while, but they don't build intimacy. No, you end up being very alone. <laughs> you draw big walls around yourself yes. because they're not within the context of relationship. Exactly. Absolutely. Or for the good of the relation. They're more for our survival, yes. which is not bad. It, we need it's to survive. It's not bad, but you can, be on, you, can, you can get beyond surviving to thriving. And yeah. that's, that's part of what we're here for, to yeah. help you guys out. Okay, so what are some of the tough topics that you think are critical to talk about before engagement? Mm. Um, and at what point in the dating relationships did you bring this up? So obviously oh. some are early, some are later. You should please disclose all your stuff before you get married. <laughs> but like there's a certain- I'm not a, so sure, but we it. can talk about that too. <laughs> I'm not so sure. <laughs> Full disclosures, but I, I, you know, the um, the things that come to mind, and just to keep in mind, Melanie and I have worked in marriage preparation for a decades i mean tens of thousands of, of couples oh, you know man, thanks be to god and sometimes you know just from the podium sometimes working across the table like this with with couples so all kind of different situations and one thing that it does provide is a whole lot of humility and a whole lot of mm-hmm. you know sometimes through humiliation sometimes through just um just recognizing that everybody has their own story it's a great um protestant minister say we're, we're our, our testimony is still getting written Mm. You know, so entering into somebody's testimony, like you just met and you're beginning in the dating, you've got a whole history where as a, a, a sister, a brother, a son, a daughter, a friend, somebody else's girlfriend or boyfriend, mm-hmm. you've got a whole relational history that you haven't even unpacked. <laughs> right. And every one of those relationships has revealed something about you. Yes. So that, that sort of sense of humility of that curious inquiry of this other person this appreciation of them as unique and unrepeatable of, of really being a kindness you know to them and and and, and growing in an empathy mm. that's sort of a schema that um one of our presenters at the catholic marriage summit talked with called a cake right so nice. and being curious but being appreciative being kind and being empathetic these are sort of the human life skills that when you're meeting someone 
you move in and out of difficult and easy conversation because the whole point of it is not about, you know, things that you're, that are radioactive that you got to prepare yourself for in order to have. You'll have a few of those. Sure. But it should be within the context of that curiosity, appreciation, kindness, and empathy where I just want to get to know you and my life is not on the line. Yes. And so early on, you want to know line. things. You do want to know things like family of origin. Okay. Tell me about your relationship with your mom, your dad. And it doesn't have to be a query. You're not going to send them a, a, you know, a doodle. You're not going to send them, you know, a, a, a MailChimp or any kind of, you know, survey monkey. But, you know, you want to get, just find the story. What, what are your other relationships like? And you want to see those intimate relationships of the family with you know good bad and ugly will give you an indication about their home base it's not a destiny but it's a home base of what intimate relationship means to them and what it means to you difficult relationships are all there but the conversation in the beginning should be sort of like you know how do you see the world what's your world view again curious appreciative kindness and empathy your life's not on the line you're not interviewing for your but you really want to know what's your world view because you can guarantee, I guarantee you it is different than you. I don't care mm-hmm. if you met in the same youth group, if you vote the same, if you believe, there's, there's a unique, unrepeatable person that's meeting another unique, unrepeatable person. And there's a beautiful dance that happens in not just learning about the person, it's not one way. When you learn about them, it actually shines more wisdom about yourself. I know that sounds yes. corny. It sounds no, it's tri- true. It's so true. It's true. You're like, I never thought of it that way. I thought wow. everybody put the toilet paper this way. You mean the <laughs> forks the up, paper. the forks go down. <laughs> oh, yeah, the toilet paper. <laughs> so, um, and these things are obvious. You know, it's like, it's not like, oh, that's so cute. You put your toilet paper this way. It's like, uh, <laughs> that's not the way it goes. That's just not, don't you have cats? Because if a cat gets it, it's going to be like that. <laughs> so, and these things that are sort of the assumptions, they just get deeper the closer you get. Yep. Because you have expectations about what it means to be a wife someday. Yes, you do. They have expectations about what it means to be a husband someday. Mm-hmm. And like a like a iceberg, there's only like 10% of it, 5% that's actually above surface. That if you had to write down, you'd write them. The other 90%, 95%, they're so well hidden in you that they don't come to light until the conflict. Well said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so family of origin is one for sure. And yes. you think that would be something early on, like... Fun. Okay. It's fun. Tell me about, do you have any brothers, sisters? Are you close with them? You know, what's the, you know, just so not intense, just like conversational. Yeah, where, where do you come from? Um, I'm trying to keep this in some kind of order, but if I go out of order, I'll we'll okay. go back and, and go back. You know, sort of in terms of importance... You know, some of the real important things to talk about are um, you're getting to addictions, you're getting mm-hmm. to habituations. Yes. But again, this is not an interview in that sense, but right. you really can't avoid those conversations. You know, what do you do when you're lonely, when you're sad, when you're bored, that is when a you're great tired? question. Yeah. Like what's well phrased. But you can flip it. You can say, hey, what are the fun things that you do? What things really bring you delight? You know, what are the things that if you could just do and you would, you know, just getting to know what, what delights, because then you'll see, oh, this person's really an introvert or this is an extrovert. Nice. This one really loves to be outdoors. This one, uh-huh. you know, this guy really loves to be, is a tech and likes to, you know, figure things out. I'm a tinkerer, you know, and I'm an out, you know, all these different things are, are just part of the, the, um, the wonder of, of meeting somebody. So I really think the first, you know, several months sort of that, that euphoric delight of finding someone that you really vibe with, you know, mm-hmm. that, that people say, no, nah, we really vibing, you know, it's because you're seeing things that, uh, in another person that you've never seen in that combination before. And it's so fun. Yeah. And it's fun. So again, getting out of that interview mode, you really do need to see how this person sees the world and themselves in it. 
Now getting deep, if you want to sort of open up the hood. Let's do it. There are two fundamental questions, two fundamental questions that secular, religious, and it's human. It's so human, it's universal. It's non-controversial. We need to know that we're worthy to be loved for who we are. Hmm. Not for what we do, not what we accomplish, not for how we perform, not how effective we are. As, as Damon Owens, good, bad, and ugly, broken, beautiful, blessed, that I'm worthy to be loved for who I am. And every one of us has a whole lifetime experience of either being affirmed in that or being, um, uh, what's the word? What's the opposite of being affirmed in it? To be denied. Yeah. You know, that. Torn down. That torn yeah. down. Yeah, broken down, right? Edified or de-edified, right? There you go. Um, and sort of getting into that very delicately, you know, getting into that helps you to see, you know, this person as someone who either fundamentally believes that they're worthy to be loved for who they are or is still striving for that affirmation and confirmation because we all are. The question is just how much of that dominates, you know, your your decisions, your self-concept, your how you can even see me. Yeah. Am I worthy to be loved for who I am? And the second is um, are others just fundamentally willing and capable of fulfilling my needs. And I say fulfilling mm. meaning trying to fulfill my needs. And right. Because nobody can fulfill your needs. I was correct right. on that the other day, right? And I, I believe that. But at the same time, the idea that outside of me, my desires have a place of fulfillment. Right. So God, mm-hmm. you know, spouse, husband or wife, children, friends, you know, the whole mix here, it is part of a fulfillment. Mm-hmm. So it's not necessarily your spouse is definitely not the one who's going to fulfill you. No. Ultimate and, fulfillment by God, but humans can share in that and can fulfill some of your to. needs. Yes, exactly. You're back to attachment style. It exactly. You got it. You're back to attachment so style. The, so that attachment style says um, either I fundamentally believe that you're part of this fulfillment, or I really don't. So I'm not even going to expect anything from you. Right. Or I'm getting off the bat like I know you're going to hurt me. So you know, let's just get it over with and figure out how you're going to hurt me. Or I, or I just don't even expect you part this part of my life. Here's the silo. And I've got everything else that I put together that I do in order to grasp my happiness. I've got my organization skills. I've got my teams. I've got my work. I've mm-hmm. got my successes. And together it makes me a modicum of, of, mm-hmm. of happiness. So relationally, we're not the only ones asking it. They're asking it as well. Right. Absolutely. So the whole dialogos, the dialogue, the word between is about, you know, is this person willing and capable of even desiring my happiness as much as I do? Mm. And that's the willing, that's the beginning of the willing of the good. It is. And it's so important. It's huge because when the the seasons we talk about in relationship come and go, that first one of delight and ecstasy and eros and seeking, oh, it's so beautiful to, to love, falling in love and to all that is beautiful. And this sort of like the, that jet fuel, you know, Christopher talks about that yep. a lot, taught me that, like that analogy that you, you got to go from zero to one mm-hmm. in acceleration, right? And eros is what moves us forward but at some point it's um it is it's calling forth this this act of the will Mm -hmm. that i will your good that i'm delighted by your will and i want to order my life you know to help you i'm not in charge of your happiness but to to help you in your in your search for joy and marriage fundamentally let's keep our our sacraments in order here too the fundamental requirement for marriage the sacrament of marriage is the freedom to consent yes so I'm not, this is not off, off topic here. No, it's very on topic. All these conversations are not meant to find your perfect spouse. They're meant to well build said. your confidence that this person or even you 
are capable of freely consenting to what marriage is. Good point. Yeah. That is a good point. Mm. I don't think I've made that on this channel before, that mm. like you're not trying to find the perfect person because there is no perfect person, right? But you are trying to find someone who could be a good option and who can validly enter into marriage and who will stay the course with you. That's and it. well said. Even reframing it that way, mm. like that may be something that like lit up a light bulb for someone, you know, mm. just reframe, like, what am I even looking for? And I'm looking for someone that can freely consent, that will stay in it for the long run and that I enjoy because yeah. I need to like them also. Exactly. And then you can look at it as sort of on one side, there are absolutes that, that violate that freedom. And mm -hmm. it's things like addictions, whether mm -hmm. they're substance addictions, whether they're relational addictions, whether they're behavioral addictions. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's a whole thing. And what we mean by addiction, what I mean by it is that there are things that you flee to when you're lonely, bad, bored, sad, angry, tired, you know, the emotional things that you cling to that right. escape from the actual hard conversation from the work that it takes to grow in intimacy and vulnerability and all the things that that are necessary for love right so the addictions really they rob your freedom mm -hmm. to will yourself the good to receive another um and to to to, to stand to stand with one another right because right. you're so bound by the other thing like your exactly. your freedom is compromised in having to engage in that behavior or that relationship or that substance or whatever. It's habituated, it's yep. compulsive, that mm -hmm. kind of thing. And the other is abuse. And mm -hmm. abuse can has also a wider range than, than, than most can acknowledge. It could be emotional, it could be physical, it could be intellectual, it could be mm -hmm. anything that, that robs habitually the other person of the assurance that they're a son or daughter of God the Father mm -hmm. is abusive. And Acknowledging that those habits means that before we enter into this, we need to have a confident new habituation. We need to know that I don't just want to love you. I want. I don't want this addiction anymore. I'm going to quit this thing. I'm going to change it. That's a great start. Anybody in 12 Steps AA will tell you, you got to name it, you got to claim it, and you got to be willing to do it. Mm -hmm. But that's not the same thing as having new habit. Right. Right. We're and taking the active steps to make the changes. And there, to your, to your podcast, is the discernment. Mm-hmm. Because the discernment is this is no absolute that says, okay, now you're ready to marry. It's it's a it's a discernment about the freedom and worth how much of this has either robbed the present freedom or threatens our future freedom. Because it's interesting in, in you know, with marriage that it's the even as Christians, we sometimes fall in the idea that it's uh, it's the the level that we've reached mm. and sort of the crown of we're ready for marriage now. And that's not totally untrue. But in a real sense, you're not pledging past or present love. You're pledging well a future said. love. Well said. And it's a future love that you don't control. But when you pledge to, and as Christians, we bind ourselves to love itself mm -hmm. and to be a conduit of that love to the other. So that's why it's an act of the will. And it's filled with emotion and passion and intellect because we know it's all human. But at the at ultimate, at the end, we're pledging to bind ourselves to love itself and to be a vehicle to will Christ's love to another. Mm. And of course, we're partaking of this as we are giving it. Sure. And when both make it, it ends up being this communio that we're tied in and, you know, three to get married. It's the community. I mean, all the Christian stuff on sort of breaks open. But, you know, recognizing that we're pledging a future love also changes the criteria of why we would enter into a hard conversation. Right. Of what we expect from it. Because the, what I wanted to make sure I said was, that these hard conversations and these disagreements, the goal is not agreement. Yes, I'm so glad you said that. The yes. goal is not 
to be on the same page. Exactly. Yeah. The goal is to know I love you in your worldview. I love you as you are. Um, the Gottman Institute, famous. Are you talking about them? You oh, yes. Gonna... Yes. I'm so, level one Gottman trained in my, my as a therapist. Yeah, yes. I love the Gottmans. I talk about them all the time. All my people so are like, you know this one. she planted him to say Gottmans. No, I didn't even know you were going to say that. So, <laughs> no, no, this is a, one of the one of their many gems is literally two thirds of all marital arguments self-reported from happy marriages are never resolved. Absolutely. Perpetual problems. Perpetual problems. So those perpetual problems, if the answer was we need to be on the same page, we need none of us. It's not human. It's not. It's not realistic. Right. Let's just get you're to not this. You're not the same person. Yeah. How boring would your life be if you were just and, and the think same about, person? And think about what hurts the most in those disagreements. It's the sense of maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm bad. Maybe I'm dumb. It's the shame yes. that comes on. It's yes. not about the disagreement. It's maybe we're not compatible. Maybe we're not meant to be. Maybe we mm -hmm. can't be happy. Maybe you won't still choose me. Exactly. I'll mm -hmm. be rejected. Mm -hmm. All of that. That's the real fear here. It's not the sense that we're voting the same or that we, we see the same way to parent our, our, our daughter. Or the, the real question is, do we still belong to each other irreplaceably? Mm. So if you're having a hard conversation to get on to say, especially if you're a control person, if you're a control person and you want the situations controlled, the emotions controlled, you want everything to be just, you are going to be miserable. You're going to mm -hmm. hate not even hate the conversations. You're going to be the one who's like chasing after your spouse or your boyfriend. Be like, we need to resolve this right now. We need to get to the answer now because we can't, you know, we're not supposed to go to bed while, while we're angry because the scripture says that, you know, we, it's this anxious sort of, graspy. The, the can't graspy, you know, sense that our disagreement means catastrophic end to our marriage. Yeah. It's, oh my gosh, it's exhausting. It is exhausting. But you also can't be the one who flees, who says, right. you know what? We're going to be fine. Whatever. Just yes, dear. You know, that whole yeah. joke, the whole yes, dear, yeah. just, that is a despairing decision to not be intimate. It's like, this is as good as it gets. Well said. As good as it gets. And as long as, you know, everything's, dinner's on, as long as I'm back from work, as long as we got the bills paid, we're doing better than most, let's not rock the boat. Mm. See, it, it, I guess my point is that with all of these conversations in discerning marriage, it's preparation for marriage. Absolutely. So it's the habits that come. It's the way of how do we grow in our intimacy through not just conflict, but even things we agree on. It's actually harder to grow in intimacy with things you agree on than it right, is. Right, because it just happens. It just, it just you happens. don't have to work for it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So do you have any tips on like how to initiate those discussions? Because mm. I think there are some people out there who are probably like, yeah, that sounds great, but how on earth do you do you just do you recommend just jumping into it? Do you have any sort of like lead up that you think is helpful that you've seen work for people? What are your thoughts? Yeah, there are there are some skills. There are definitely okay. some skills in this that that need to go and and to recognize that it's not so much a cookie cutter. Say this, do this, move this, okay. because we're not cookie cutters, right? Right. But there are principles to abide by. The first is to um, acknowledge or to to understand how you are received. Okay. Uh, to avoid accusation, to avoid the nagging. And I'm not just talking nice. about women, men do it too. They do. To avoid the, um, again, I use accusation. Accusation is the big one, right? Um, so there is a preparation time. I think there's also a fairness in saying, you know, I'd really have a, like to have a, a hard conversation with yes. you. It might be hard. Yes. I don't want it to be. But I also just want to make sure that, you know, you're ready for the, are you, you know, is this a good time or you want to maybe talk later, nice. later on? Yep. It's giving, again, based on temperament, personality, approach, mm -hmm. the time to sort of prepare for these because most of us are not used to 
that springing on. Because sometimes we're just tired. Sometimes we're just already angry from something else at mm-hmm. work. Sometimes so we're good. hungry. Sometimes we're hungry. <laughs> Seriously. Um, the other thing is um, framing, and this is from an, um, the, my good friends, the Parolas from Australia, and they talk about um, this technique of feeling, right? So this this is called the life technique, as they call mm-hmm. it, right? And this is also part of the of, of epic intimacy and in, in our joyful ever after um, series. And they talk about framing our our statements as uh, I feels. And it sounds trite. It sounds like oh, I feels, but, but it's not, y'all. It's, it's this good. Is, this is transformative. Yes. It is transformative. Because then you're not accusing. It, you're not. It's so tempting to start a hard conversation with you, 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 you. But if you're mindful of not saying you, and it's you start a, with I feel, I mean, that's huge. And again, it's not a manipulative because what it actually does, it gets to the real point. Mm-hmm. The real point is not what you've done to me. It's how I feel. Nice. Well and, said. And the feeling is not just sort of squishy emotion. The, the, the pearls, they have this, this beautiful wheel of more emotion words than as a 50-year-old man I've ever seen in my life. So <laughs> angry doesn't just work it or sad. or It's like 15 words in sort of a, a, a pie chart. of, of And what it does is it helps you to get to uh, the vulnerability of what I'm really feeling because that's the heart of it. It's not what I'm thinking is what I'm feeling. To be able to express that and then to embellish on it, to be heard, and then to know that you're heard based on saying, oh, I hear you saying that I that I hurt you when this, and it made you feel this or this, and I'm sorry, that was not what I meant to do at all. I'm sorry I made you feel that way. And there's, there's, there's more to it in terms of how you're received. Because sometimes those feel statements can sound manipulative, they can sound patronizing. If, you're re- if they're received that way. So you have to learn the language. You have to learn yes. the love language, literally, yep. of your yep. beloved to, to, to communicate that is not, my, I'm sorry I made you feel that way. Own it. Yeah, I'm sorry absolutely. that I made you feel, even if, if it's like, oh, I didn't do that. That's like, why I didn't I mean that? to. That was my intention. Yeah, get over it. They still feel like, like it. You're really yes. so sensitive. Why are you so sensitive? I didn't mean, you know, now let's get to the total defensive piece. But the I feel um, sort of frames this hard conversation as um, a benevolent request. As a as an opening, that if you really want to know what's happened, this is this is, and, and even acknowledging, I, you know, I, I I guess I don't feel like you did that on purpose, but I can't deny this is how it made me feel. Yes. Um, and so then the conversation is around what were your intentions, you know, what were you thinking, and it could be, you know, what I snapped that one, I just I didn't mean that, and I and I, and I apologize. Oh, you know what, you know, I was angry because you know two days ago you said this to me, mm. and. You know, unfairly, I, I was still stewing. I, I was, you know, I was resentful. And I'm still s- salty about that. And this, and I was, I was wrong to, to, to do that. So it opens up the I feel to the I hear you, I respond, and then to your, to your I feel. Uh, and then just the last piece of it, the sort of big principle with this is there really is a formula for positives to negatives that we need to be attentive to. That for every sort of negative um i've seen other numbers but uh, you know, gotta quote I, the gottman's gottman's well if your if your relationship is good right uh-huh. for, for every negative it's five uh-huh if you're if you're in a deficit situation where you, you're you're very hurt it's something like 20 to one mm-hmm. for happy marriages for, for every happy neg- one marriage, negative 
20 positive interactions. And it sounds crazy. It sounds crazy. Except when you think about yourself. Absolutely. And then you're like, like, what I want. Yeah. Exactly. So there really, there's something real to that. And it's not just a sandwich game of, you know, um, but even a two to one acknowledges yeah you know because there's something you're grateful for absolutely and and starting with that gratitude um there's a this is science and it's faith it's both when we do the work to find something that we're grateful for we can't be resentful at the same time Mm. gratitude and resentment cannot exist in the the body at the same moment well fear and faith can't exist in the body at the same moment wow so when we do the work for gratitude, I'm really grateful that you work so hard. For this. I'm really grateful that you take the time. I know you travel a lot. I'm so grateful that we get to go out to dinner. I'm so grateful. That, and be honest about it. It has to be authentic. Yeah. Then our brain is already disconnected from the resentment. Now it can flood right back. Sure. So we have to be attentive. Yes. But there's something about there's a delight and a peace, a lightness when we abide in that gratitude, mm. that when the resentment comes back, we feel the heaviness again. Mm-hmm. And we're like, I don't want that. I mean, and you don't. You don't want that. So those are probably three things that I'd recommend. That is so helpful. Mm-hmm. Y'all, you'll probably have to rewind and, re- and rewrite them down because those <laughs> were so good. Oh, I kind of wish I would have taken my notes too. So I'll have to go back and watch it. That's so great. So knowing that the bulk of my listeners are still discerning marriage, mm-hmm. right? They're um, not married yet, basically. They're still trying to figure out whether they're single or they're in a relationship. Like, what does God have for me? So what is like one practical tip related to this topic of tough conversations that they can turn off this podcast and go implement in their life if they want to? I love the practical stuff. So what's one practical tip that you mm. think that someone who's in that season could use? Yeah. Um, I think I'd go with that last comment. I think one of the most the things we can do for ourselves, for relationship, is that work of gratitude. I was kind of hoping you would say that. Because yeah. that's such a good one. Like gratitude could, journals. It, you know, journal, like every day, how many things You could we literally do it on the way to the date, on the way to the meeting. You could literally, just to get your mindset into it, just think, yes. what am I grateful for in this person that they've, that they've oh, what I do I admire? That. What I is something, that. what is. And trust me, that it opens up our minds and our hearts to be able to receive. Well, you know what? Yeah, thank you for that. You know, I, I could probably do better because I really wanted to do. Now you've got this affirmative, I want to be better, even though you've you seemingly edified some, as opposed to the accusation. Then you get into the whole, like, the posture, like, you know, mom, I really suck. I've got the gospel to suck. I'm trying to be good. I just don't. I'm trying, you know. Yeah. It gets a heavy to go from that negative to the, okay, I'll do better. You know, but so, but I I think for a practical thing, I think it's even writing one, two, three, four things down Mm. that you're grateful for. It there's a lightness to the whole conversation. Perfect. There it is. Well, thank you so much, Damon. I you seriously, you're the real deal, and I love (laughs) it. Like this whole time, I've just like soaked in what you have to teach me, Mm. and so I'm hoping that my listeners have done the same. Thank you so much. Thanks for all the work that you've put in these 30 years to your marriage that it's bearing so much fruit. We're just getting started. We do. You're so cute. I love it. I love it. You are just getting started on a new season it's with true. your grandbabies. Yes, we so are. So fun. Next yes, generation. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming out. Thank I you. really appreciate it. Thank you. And for all of you guys, thank you so much for giving us your time. I know your time is so precious and I'm grateful that you give some of it to us. So we are. it's a joy to have you. And until next time, stay close to the heart of Jesus and be not afraid. Mm-hmm.